I have no idea what to do at this moment, so children are dismissed. <laughs> uh, hey, on a side note, uh, if you look in the bulletin and, and you see today, there's like a lot, um, and we have had like 40 plus kids like every week, I was made aware that we need some more volunteers in our nursery area, nursery, just nursery total, just the upstairs, right? Uh, we need we need we need help everywhere. Um, but it, it's really I mean just the need is growing more and more. And what we desire is just to have people come alongside, invest in our children uh, as they are our children, as we're family and brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we want to come alongside that. In our time here, we, we come and we make disciples and we come help root these children's lives in the Word of God. We need help. Uh, that's one reason we've hired Chris to come on to help kind of spearhead and to lead and to organize. Uh, but, uh, but he's going to do the same thing I'm doing right here too and say, we need help. Uh, we need more people coming alongside. Uh, we need men. We need women uh, that would invest uh, from a month at a time, a week at a time uh, for the strengthening of their children's lives downstairs and upstairs. So uh, forgot to say that earlier. We're in the book of Daniel. We're continuing in the book of Daniel. We are in chapter 11 today, and so we broke up chapter 11 into two sections. We have read every single word so far in the book of Daniel, and chapter 11 was really big. I was like, how are we possibly going to get through all this in one sermon? So we're doing it in two sermons. I believe it's page 834-ish, um, if you're using those white Bibles in front of you, um, and as you're turning there, uh, let, me just, let me just ask a few questions and, and a few thoughts here. When you look at the world, what do you expect to see? Do you expect to one day see a, a world full of peace, full of harmony? Do you believe that one day uh, wars and rumors of wars will, will just all cease? Do you trust that if the United States, the United Nations, and other countries, they all come together to make decisions, that, that possibly all nuclear war, all chemical attacks, all terrorist organizations, all extremist groups will come to an end? Now you think about it. Do you think that's really going to happen? Now, my goal tonight is, today is not to be pessimistic or to be the Debbie Downer, um, but according to God's Word, I, I don't think we see that. Um, what we see is that this world will always be characterized by war, by strife, by division. And in fact, if you go all the way back to just Genesis, when Adam and Eve, they, they break God's command, they eat the fruit. Right after that, what do we see? Cain kills Abel. And then right after that, in the same chapter, in chapter 4, I mean the very beginning chapters of the Bible, there's a guy named Lamech who has uh, a couple wives. He gets hit and so he turns to his wives, and this is what he says in Genesis 4. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Meaning, look, anyone hurts me, I will destroy them. What we see all the way through God's word is that war persists. It goes all the way to the third to last chapter in Revelation, the last book in the Bible. If you go to books like Joshua, Judges, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, there's just war and conquest throughout all of it. Because of sin, humanity is constantly at war with one another. And that, that's one thing we're going to see. 
And, and we can divide on anything, can't we? We just think about it. We can, divide on, we can divide on big things like Trump, not Trump, football players kneel or stand, abortion right or wrong, gun laws more or less. And you go, okay, those are big ones. We can divide on the color of carpet. Churches have divided on carpet color before. Um, we can divide on types of music. In fact, churches have divided on that too. Oh, man, they have drums. Oh, they don't have drums. Oh, there's too many guitars. Oh, there's a solo. Oh, there's not a solo. I mean, there's so many things we can divide on. On, on how we drive. Have you ever seen, like, like a married couple or just, or just two people? And, like, why are you in this lane? Shouldn't you be in the other lane? Why didn't you turn there? Like, my way's faster. Why didn't you take my Like, we can divide and fight on anything. Whether it's at work, at home, in our neighborhoods, sometimes within the church, strife, contention, division is all around us. And one thing I love is God's word does not hide from any of that. If you know the Bible, then you know that. It, it confronts all of this. It shows life for what it is, and life is hard. And today we're going to be in a text that highlights the difficulty of life because of the depravity of man, because we are sinful. And what we're going to see is that because of sin, there's war, there's strife, there's contention. But that's not the end of the story. There's also this, this other story that, that God is, is working and weaving through, this master story that God is establishing a kingdom that will never pass away, that will not be characterized of war and division and strife, but will be one of everlasting peace and joy. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. And today we're going to be just in the first 20 verses of chapter 11. And this is going to be a confusing chapter. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to read this, and you're just going to go, huh, that's good. Uh, it, it's, it's mainly prophecy about historical information in the second and third generation, or the second and third century before Christ. And Daniel's going to receive this vision. And primarily, we're going to be looking between the kingdom of the north, which is Syria, and the kingdom of the south, which is Egypt. And so pay attention to words like arise, strong, and shall not stand. So just pay attention to those, uh, and, and we're going to dig in, and hopefully it won't be too confusing as we go. But one thing we do is we stand when we read God's word, so I'm going to ask that you stand. We do so because we believe God's word comes with his full authority and inspiration, so we do so to honor our God and King. Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. And as for me... In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is an angel speaking. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he is risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. But not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he. And he shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he in his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch, from her roots, one shall arise in his place, 
He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times, many shall arise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterwards, he shall turn his face for, to the coastlands and shall capture many of them. But a commander shall, be, shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land. But he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then, the, then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. For within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. Confused yet? Good. Uh, let's pray. Father, Father, we ask for wisdom today as we dig in your word. Your word is good. Your word is holy. Your word is inspired. There are easy parts just to know and comprehend very quickly, and there are more difficult parts. And so God, as we're in these areas, it's just a little more difficult to what do we do with this? How do we understand this? God, give us wisdom today. May your spirit work. We trust in you that you carry out the purposes of your word. So give us wisdom today. Help us to better understand who you are, to know what you've done for us through your son, Jesus, that we might live for you. In your name, amen. You all may be seated. Well, let me give a little bit of the direction of where we're going. First, I just want to look through this vision and just make sure we kind of understand what's happening. And then we're going to answer five questions that I think will help us really see the truths that are in this passage. Uh, so let's look at the vision. In verses 2 through 4, uh, they're focused on Persia and Greece. Verses 5 through 20 are focused on two kingdoms that arise out of Greece, and primarily Egypt the south and Syria the north. So we'll look at just verses 2 through 4 first, and then we'll look at the next. In verse 2, we're told there will be four more kings in Persia. Now, in reality, there's probably nine more kings. It's about 200-year period from Darius, or Cyrus, another name probably for Darius. Um, so is Daniel wrong? Some would say he's wrong. Some say he got something wrong here. But what we'll see is that this vision that he has 
is so incredibly accurate and detailed that's very unlikely he got this part wrong. So he's probably not referring to all the kings. He's probably referring to four specific kings, which ones we do not actually know. Now, most commentators are pretty sure the fourth king that he references is Xerxes, since he uh, went up against the kingdom of Greece. He's kind of the king that poked the bear, Greece, that would then later come and destroy the kingdom. And so, in verse 3, we read about the one who will arise and do whatever he wills. But in verse 4, we see that his kingdom is broken up into four parts. And none goes to his children, his posterity, but they go to others. Well, this is surely none other than uh, Alexander the Great, who comes from Greece, conquers Persia. But in 323 B.C., as he's conquering much of the known world, all of a sudden he dies very quickly. And none of his rule goes to his children, but it goes to his four generals. And then in verses 5 through 20, what we're going to look at is two of these generals, the one that took the kingdom of the south, which is um, Egypt and Israel, Ptolemy, and we'll look at Seleucus, the king of the north, which took Syria and Mesopotamia. So those are the kings that now we're, we're zooming in on. Now originally, um, Seleucus, the king of the north, was an ally of Ptolemy. But in verse 5, we see that he abandons him, and eventually um, he will become stronger and have more authority than the king of the south. Now, in verses 5 through 12, the south reigns, and verses 13 through 20, the north reigns. That's kind of how that's broken up. And so just to point out a few things, verse 6, we see that the king of the south will give the northern king his daughter as a means of making peace. Ptolemy II gives his daughter Bernice to Antiochus as a means of making peace. And at first, it seemed that it went really well. Antiochus divorced his wife, Laodice, uh, to marry Bernice. And then later, about two years later, he decided to go back to his first wife, Laodice, who didn't take that well. So she poisoned him, killed Bernice, and killed the son that they had, which is what we see here in verse 6, uh, that Bernice will not retain her strength. Now, Bernice's brother, the kingdom of the south, did not take this well that his, daughter, that his sister was killed. So this is Ptolemy III. He's the branch we read about in verse 7. He's going to invade the north. In verse 8, he carries off to Egypt the gods and gold and precious things from the north. So you see, this vision, which is hundreds of years before these things happen, is extremely detailed and accurate. Now in verse 13, the tables begin to turn. The north will take uh, the stronger hand. And what we see is in 203 B.C., Antiochus III will invade the south and prevail. Verse 13, we read, the forces of the south shall not stand. And in verse 17, he's going to do what the king of the south did. He's going to give his daughter, Cleopatra, not the one that married Mark Anthony, which is like 100 years later in this, um, but he's going to give his daughter Cleopatra uh, to marry Ptolemy V as a way of making peace. But he sends her as like an ambassador spy type person. So he's not really interested in peace. He's interested in, I'm going to send my daughter so that she can be my, my ears and eyes there. I can gain information and gain influence. But that didn't go well. But told me the fifth dies, but she actually fell in love with him. So now she rules the king of the south, or the kingdom of the south, until her son stands. And she does nothing for the advantage of her father in the kingdom of the north. 
which is what we read in verse 17, it shall not stand or be to his advantage. He gave his daughter to take control. She didn't follow through with her part of the commitment. Our section ends with the north having been conquered by Rome and now having to pay a thousand talents every year as a means of acknowledging their surrender to Rome. Seleucus IV, Philopater, I think that's how you come close to saying it, was the king, not popular because of this tax of a thousand talents that he has to raise every year. So he's killed by Heliodorus, the tax collector, which we read about in verse 20 where it says, but within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. And this now sets the stage for the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes, who has been held hostage by Rome, but now that Rome and Syria, Syria surrendered to Rome, Antiochus is released. He's going to be the subject of verses 21 through 35, and he's going to be the one who's going to bring a great deal of persecution on God's people. Confused yet? Kinda? Little bit? So it's a little confusing, especially if we're not familiar with this part of history. But one thing is obvious. There's a lot of war, and there's a lot of division. Kingdoms are rising and falling. Both the southern and northern, northern kingdoms experience, experience success, and they experience failure. And so what I want to do now is just ask five questions. And actually, these five questions I got from one of the books I was reading um, on this chapter because I was a little confused on where I should go as I read this. I was like, all right, this is good. What do I do? And so these were five questions um, that were posed that I thought were very helpful that are going to help us see the kingdoms of this world are characterized by sin, by world, by, by war, by pain and division, but that God is establishing a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, which has been the theme all throughout the book of Daniel. So we're going to ask five questions. What do we learn about God right here? What do we learn about God? This is a question we always need to ask in every passage. Now you might say, I don't know. But go back to chapter 10, verse 20. So just a little bit before. Chapter 10 is the context for this vision. Daniel has a vision. Angels come to him. And the angel says to him in chapter 10, verse 20, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return against the prince of Persia when I go out. Behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. So he's about to say, this is what's in the book of truth. And that's this vision that details out the next several hundred years of the future. So it appears God has a book called the book of truth. And in this book, it contains all events in history, past present and future it's thought that this book might also be the very same book that we read about in revelation the scrolls that are opened and that are read there that talk about the events that will happen up until the return of christ now there are many scholars who will try to say well daniel this part of daniel was surely not written in the fifth sixth century surely not because it's too detailed of information. There's no way he could have known this. There's no way that he could have wrote such detail ahead of time. So surely this was added at a later period of time. And many scholars do this because they're not comfortable with a God who knows all events, controls all events, and has ordained all events. Because what we see in this passage is that God rules. 
simply we're having the outline or the, the playing out of this book of truth. And if we go back to the book of Daniel, we've seen that God rules throughout the entire book. In chapter 1, we see that um, the reason Israel is in Babylon is because God gave it into the hands of Babylon. God is the one who gave the interpretation of King Neb's dream to Daniel. Remember in chapter 2, Daniel prays. God gives the dream and the interpretation. God is the one who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace in chapter 3. God is the one who saves Daniel from the lion's den in chapter 6. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, after he's been humbled by God in chapter 4, this is what he says in chapter 4, verse 35. God does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? There's other texts all throughout the Bible that we could look at. Isaiah 44, verses 6 and 7. This is what it says about God. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now he's going to tell us how we know that there's no other God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. He says, look, I am the only God. I'm the first and the last. Let someone else, some other God, tell you what's going to happen in the future. Let's see if it happens. God says, this is what I've done all throughout my word. In Proverbs 16, we're told the lot is cast into the laps. Like, the dice are thrown, but every decision is from the Lord. In fact, when Peter, in the book of Acts, he speaks about the crucifixion of Jesus, this is how he, this is how he says it. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Why was Jesus killed? It's not because the, hand, the lawless men, which he goes on to describe, overcame God in his plan. But God's plan has always been that he would send his son Jesus to die on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. What we see all throughout the Bible from beginning to end is that there is a God who rules all things, knows all things, and controls all things. And I know that sounds strange. And I know that's hard, and I know that kind of rubs sometimes us in the wrong way, and we go, I don't know if I'm comfortable with a God that ordained everything. How do I understand all of these things that happen in life? But I think it, it's uncomfortable for us because we want to make God in our image. We want a God to be like us. We don't know all things, so how could God know all things? But we have to come back to what God's word says. Is God is not made in our image, but we're made in his image. We're made like him. We're not, we're not made like him 100%, but we're made like him. And there's an infinite difference between him and us and what he can do and what he knows and what we do and what we know. And so we must not try to think of God like a man and limit him with our limitations. And if, we're, and if we keep our eyes open as we come through the Bible, what we understand is that when we read about passages, about God knowing all things, controlling all things, and ordaining all things, what's the context usually? It's about giving comfort and hope to God's people. 
we try to pick it apart and go, well, wait a minute, but, but what about this situation, about this situation? But what we see is that the reason we come to God's word, or the way it's presented, is that we would understand that there is a God, so that when we don't know why things are happening, why there are wars and rumors of war that characterize this world, when we say, is there anyone in control? We can come back, there is a God, and he is in control, and we can trust that he is accomplishing what he has purposed. God is never surprised. He's never caught off guard. There's nothing new to God. You realize that? There's nothing new. He knows all, sees all, and controls all. So that's question one. Question two, what do we learn about humanity? <clears throat> two things I, I mainly want to point here. Number one, we have persistently lustful hearts. Persistently lustful hearts. In chapter 11, we see the north and the south, they battle it out for power and land. In the end, they're both going to be conquered by Rome, who tries to then conquer all lands and nations. And isn't that what we see history is full of? Nations, tribes, families, individuals at war with one another? Because of sin, what we see all the way through Scripture is that we are, we're never satisfied with the things that we have. We're never satisfied with the size of our kingdoms, whether we're talking land and, and actual castles and walls like here in Dan, Daniel 11, or the size of our houses, the size of our cars, the size of our wallets, the size of our possessions, the, our authority, our prestige, sex. We always want more. Amazon gets it, right? Go on Amazon, what can you do? Wish list, right? Man, I don't have the money right now, but I can make a wish list, and I have like 20 wish lists. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They have everything at this moment except one tree. Everything belongs to them except one tree. Are they satisfied? No. They say, wow, I want that one tree. So they eat what has been forbidden for them. David, the great king of Israel, conquered everyone, probably one of the greatest reigns of peace that we've ever seen in history, he, he's conquered kings and nations. Everyone is subject to him. He has wives. He has power. He has prestige. And then he's up on his castle one day, and he sees a naked woman, Bathsheba, and he goes, wow, I don't have that one. And so everything that he has now looks old and stale and run down, and now he needs the one woman he doesn't have. And so he takes her and kills her husband. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. Do you realize you could have everything you want right now, everything on your wish list, everything could be delivered in 48 hours or less, and you could have that, and do you know you still wouldn't be satisfied? Now, I, it would be cool, right? Like, I, I'm not, it would be fun to have all of that. But we still wouldn't be satisfied. We still would want more. And you know it's true. You know it's true. So my wife and I, we just, I say this, my wife and I, we just did the floors in our basement. She, we did not do the floors in the basement. Um, <laughs> she washed as I did. In fact, Ben came and helped me redo the floors in the basement. Um, in order to do that, though, we took out all the carpet, and we had to put everything in the basement in the garage. And so I'm in the garage the other day, and I'm just walking through, and I'm like, we have a lot of stuff. And I think I said, man, we have a lot of junk. Like, just look at all this. My, my goal is that not all of this junk makes it back to, uh, to the house, but hopefully goes to the dump or somewhere else. But you know what's going to happen next time I'm at Costco? I'm going to be like, man, I need, I need 
I need. Because every time I go to Costco, there's something cool there. There's samples. There's things that I need. Uh, it's because of this sin that we constantly wrestle with this, I'm not satisfied. I lust for more. We reject and we rebel against God and what he has given us. We have an unquenchable thirst for stuff. That's what we have in Daniel 11. An unquenchable thirst. They're not happy with the kingdoms that they have. They want the other kingdoms. They want more land, more power, more prestige. And that is the same where we are today. And we will fight to have it. Marriages have been broken because of this. We see neighbors. We see friendships broken. uh, uh, Co-workers and in division because of the desire to have what we don't have. My mom, I was talking to her the other day, she's the president of their community association, and they live in one of those communities with CCNRs, and so all those covenants, and there's a couple neighbors uh, that are at war with one another. One of them violated one of the CCNRs. And so they're at war, and so they're hiring a mediator, to now come and to solve some of these problems. Now, I just want you to think, like, that's never going to solve problems, right? These neighbors are always going to be at war, but can you believe that? Like, that, that's what we have today. We have people, we will fight and divide over anything. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's stupid. Like, I would never do that. And you're saying, look, I'm easygoing. In fact, I avoid conflict. I, I hardly ever am divisive. In fact, other people are divisive, and I'm always like, hey, let's just calm down. I know that there are some people, and, and, and the way they pursue their kingdom is, is that they are going to be very easy going. They're going to be extremely passive. There can be lies told all around them, and because they so want to fight for their peace, for their comfort, for, for the lack of any strife around them, they will never raise their voice. They will never speak up. All they want is just a nice comfortable life and so they just think if i can just avoid conflict but what they're doing is they're saying i just want to preserve my kingdom i don't want anyone i don't want to make waves i don't want anyone to avoid my kingdom so while this might not be an active way of creating division it's still a way that we rebel against god's rule and we do whatever we can to guard ourselves and they will say that they're simply more mature but honestly i say that they're cowards those who never speak up those who never have division They don't have spines. Let's not think that there's more maturity because we don't speak. Now, that doesn't mean we should jump and speak on everything. We should do so with great love. But just because we might avoid division does not mean that we are mature. We are simply pursuing our kingdom in another means. Um, Next, we build kingdoms that will not last. So first, we have lustful hearts. So therefore, we're always building our kingdom. We want what we do not have. But the thing is, it doesn't last. Verse 16, Antiochus does as he wills. He's the most powerful guy right now in this area. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. He gives his daughter Cleopatra as a means of making peace and securing his power over the south. But what happens? Verse 18, he's conquered by Rome. Verse 19, he's killed, and his daughter didn't do what he wants. We go, to, we go to verse 3, Alexander the Great, one of the possible greatest warriors who has ever been on this earth, conquers everyone. In verse 4, his kingdom is simply plucked up. Now notice verse 3, he does as he wills. It seems like whenever we read that, right after that phrase, the kingdom gets destroyed. And so he does what he wills, and his kingdom is plucked up as if there's no control over it, that there's some other power 
And it's given not to his children, not to those who, who are with him, but to generals. This is what the author of Ecclesiastes calls vanity or meaningless. Under the sun, we can work hard. We can make a name for ourselves. But one day, there's a day coming, and we lose it all. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Hear this. If our trust is things in the world, it will fall. It will not stand. Now, I'm not saying, please don't misinterpret, that possessions are bad and we should throw everything out. Like Things are good. Definitely not told not to have anything. But if our hope is in our possessions, if our hope is in ourselves, our family, our house, our job, our reputation, our bank account, if that's what matters most, it will fall. You can conquer the entire known world like Alexander the Great. And in the end, you die. And if you don't know Christ, then you come under the judgment of God. And that's a fact that no matter what you do on this earth, you cannot change. I think I said I wasn't going to be the Debbie Downer, but that's a little bit of that. Um, and and on, on a side note, um, many of you, because you're military, are going to be leaving this church at some point. And so you're going to be going to, to another church. And so our goal, our job here is we want to come alongside you and encourage you the best that we can in this time that we have. And, and, and hopefully you grow in your knowledge and love for the gospel. There's a day coming. You're going to go to another church. And we want to be excited about that as well as sad. But when you look for a different church, make sure they preach the gospel. Make sure they preach the kingdom of God. But make sure they also do that in the context that there's judgment. If you go to a church where there's no judgment, where there's no sin, where they're only talking about your best life now, do not go to that church. There are many false gospels that are being preached out there today. When we come to God's word, we see judgment and we see hope. And oftentimes they're in the same page, same verse. Um, we want to make sure that we understand the God's word the way it is presented to us, that there is difficulty in this life and there is a judgment because of our sin and rebellion against God. But the good news is for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what we're going to turn and look at now. What do we learn about Jesus Christ? Now that might sound like a strange question. After all, Jesus wasn't in this passage, right? Like, did anyone read the word Jesus? So how do we talk about Jesus when he's not in the passage? Um, but we need to realize Daniel's a book, right? So there's other chapters to the book of Daniel, and we've read about Jesus in previous chapters. So here, we're in a context of kingdoms are being built, wars and, and rumors of wars, and the kingdoms are built, kingdoms fall. Kingdoms are built, kingdoms fall. But in previous chapters, we've read about one who comes, who will be given a kingdom that will never fall. And so if we were in Daniel chapter 7, we see Jesus has a kingdom that will never pass Away. And so this is to be in contrast to what we see here in Daniel 11. In Daniel 7, uh, Daniel has, four, uh, has a vision of four kingdoms. And it's a weird vision with beasts and stuff. But it's all characterized by war and suffering. But then what we see is all of these kingdoms pass away. And then comes one called the Son of Man. And he comes before God, and this is what we're told. Chapter 7, verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So we're told that one day there's a kingdom being established 
and we know that's established through Jesus Christ at the cross, and that it will be a kingdom for people of every tribe, of every nation, of every language. But how? I mean, all throughout the Bible, we're told that because of sin, we're actually separated from God, but now we're told we're actually going to live in God's kingdom. How is that possible? Well, in another part of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, we read what Jesus is going to do so that we can be in the kingdom with him. And this is what it says in Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Uh, so there's 70 weeks, which means there's a great deal of time. And, and this is from the time of this uh, vision all the way up unto the cross and the return of Christ. Seventy weeks are decreed. And notice, there's six things that are going to happen. Finish the transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for iniquity. Bring an everlasting righteousness, seal both vision and prophet, meaning fulfill it, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, who and how does all these things happen? The finishing of, of transgression, the putting an end to sin, the atoning for iniquity, the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. Who and how does this come about? Through Jesus Christ at the cross. This is where this has all been secured. So Jesus is establishing a kingdom How can we be with him? How can we enter in this kingdom? Well, he's going to come, and he's going to put an end to sin. Now, Daniel most likely didn't know that's how it's playing out at his point. But we, from our vantage point of where we stand in history, can look at these prophecies and see how they've been fulfilled in Jesus Christ at the cross. In Daniel 11, we see that there are kings who give their daughters to try to make peace. But they're not really interested in peace. It's a way of manipulating, it's a way of being deceitful, and it's a way of controlling. But then we come to God's kingdom, where God gives his child, his son, not as a means of controlling, not as a means of deceiving, not as a means of manipulation, but a means of grace. That he would give his son so that he would come and die on a cross that we who believe in him could be forgiven and brought into his kingdom forever. You see, because of sin... We've rejected God's rule, God's kingdom. Rather than living for God and and doing what he's called, we've reached for the apple, the forbidden fruit, just like Adam and Eve did. We've tried to build up our kingdoms. And and we see that through our persistently lustful hearts, that we want more and more and more. And we constantly look at, how do I I make a name for myself? How do I have more power? How do I have more prestige? How do I obtain more things in this earth? And yet Christ has come that he would give us a new heart heart that loves him a heart that loves to submit to the rule of god because in god's kingdom in god's rule that's where there's true peace true joy and true everlasting happiness and that's why god has given his son jesus jesus come so that we could have life jesus come so that we could part be part of a kingdom that would never fall jesus come that we could be part of the everlasting kingdom his rule while it might be challenged here on earth it will never be favored And his rule will last forever. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we're told the gates will always stay open in the new heavens and new earth. You want to know why? Because there's no one to challenge. Because there will be no more sin. There will be no more opposing kingdoms. That's what God does through his son, Jesus. Um, So what do we need to know? These last two questions are kind of just bringing it into the application. What do we need to know? Why does God give us a vision of this future battle between the north and the south. I mean, only in verse 14 does it kind of mention God's people. 
Other than that, why don't we just skip straight to verse 21 where we look at Antiochus Epiphanes because we know he's going to persecute God's people. At least that deals with Israel. What if God is helping put Israel's suffering in perspective? Think about it. At this time, Israel has been released from exile. They've gone out of Babylon. They've gone, or out of Persia, back to the king, back to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the temple, and all of a sudden, they're being opposed. And they're experiencing persecution and suffering, and all the building plans have been put on hold. They're doing what God wants, and yet they are not reaping the blessings. Have you ever experienced that? Man, I read the Bible, I gather with the church, I'm a part of table groups, I'm doing all of these things that God says to do. Why is life hard? You ever, you ever wonder that? You ever question? Why are not God's blessings simply raining down on me? Has God forgotten me? Is God not in control? What we know is that it's not the case because God is always in control. Rather, we're once again reminded that our hope is not in this world. Through pains and sufferings and tribulation, God continually graciously reminds us that our hope is not in a land or a temple or a building on this earth, but rather he's creating a new heaven and a new earth where we who believe in him will live with him forever. And while we're here on this earth, there will be pain. There will be pain and suffering because of sin. This world will be characterized by that. That is the reality of this world. Husbands, fathers, you have to make sure you shepherd your children to know that's a reality in this world. There's going to be pain. You can do everything right and you can still suffer. That's a reality in this world. Cover to cover, we see that in God's word. But guess what? Our God knows our pain. He sent his son Jesus so he would suffer and die at the hands of sinful men. In Hebrews 4.15, this is what we read. Read this in Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You might be here today, and you've been going through difficult, suffering times. But you are not alone. And our God knows exactly how you feel. He's been rejected. He's been beaten. He's lost everything. He's been denied. He suffered at the hands of men. And now he sits at the right hand of God so that when we come to him in prayer, he gives grace. Because he knows that we live in a world of pain and suffering because of sin. Now we have hope. We know there's a new world coming. We know our sins are forgiven, but we still are in a world characterized by pain and suffering. And so we can come to him and he gives grace and he knows exactly how to give grace because he's been in the pain. He's been in the suffering. We don't have a God who just says, oh, I've read a book. I know what you're feeling. He's been where we are and in so much more. I hope you know you're just not alone. Know that today. So what do we do? Um, there's, there's four things. Try to go through these. Number one, persevere. If you're a believer here today, what do we do? We persevere because we know our hope is not in this world. We know that there will be pain and suffering in this world, but yet God has conquered it all, and a new heavens and new earth is going to be established so we can persevere knowing that God's kingdom is being built. And so if you're a, if you're a believer here, and I just want to say, because of sin, we still struggle with trying to build our own kingdoms, right? Even though God has given us new hearts, 
we still struggle with lusting after things that we simply don't have. We're not, avo- we're not void of this battle anymore, but we're in it. And so if you're here today and you're just going, wow, I have been pursuing things more about my kingdom than about God's kingdom. I haven't been focusing on Christ. Then I would just say repent. Repentance is the word of, of changing directions. It means to turn from. So turning from trusting in our kingdoms and building our kingdoms to trusting in God and what he has done for us. And repentance is to be the air that we breathe as believers. Okay, just know that it's not a bad thing to repent. It's good because when we repent, we realize we are sinners. We still need grace. We realize where we are and the reality that's around us, that we are still in a world characterized by sin, characterized by suffering, and that there's times that we get caught up in that, and that we still need to repent often on a daily basis. So I encourage you to repent today. Number two, uh, if you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus, then, then I would say trust in Jesus today. Come to him today. Believe in him. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying stop pursuing your kingdom. Stop going after the things that you want. Come. Come to me. Take my yoke. It's easy. I will help you. I will give you grace. Listen, there is nothing in this world that can satisfy you. Again, everything on your wish list can be fulfilled right now, and you'll still want more. The evidence of that is there's a new iPhone every year, and every year we need a new iPhone, don't we? Because it's just not good enough anymore. You know this truth that the world doesn't satisfy. You know this truth. And so, as C.S. Lewis puts it in a, some different words, um, if we find that we have a desire that's unable to be met with the things in this world, then it's easy to assume that we are created for something much greater that's not in this world. We're created for a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, one led by Jesus Christ that will, take, that will, that will come and be a part of the new heavens and new earth as this world will pass away. So I, I encourage you, trust in Jesus today. If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you, pray about you. We have other elders, other people here who would love to talk to you about that. Um, and lastly, I just want to say this, um, that we're to love. The church is to be a picture of God's kingdom here on earth. So while we see these kingdoms rise and fall, and we see the fights between the north and the south, whether that's in our neighborhoods, in our families, or much more on a political scale, what we see all throughout God's word is that God's people are to be a picture of God's kingdom here on earth. Remember Lamech? He said, my revenge is 70 times 7. And Jesus says that we will forgive 70 times 7. That's the picture of the church. Well, the picture of the world is revenge. The picture of the, world is my, picture of the world is my kingdom. The picture of God's kingdom is love and peace and unity. And it's not a, I just roll over type thing. No, it's a, we pursue peace and we're active with it. 
and we come alongside that others would know and trust in Jesus Christ and that we desire to serve one another. We desire to put others' needs before our own. So as the world sees, man, kingdom after kingdom, war after war, but then when they look at the church, rather than us dividing over carpet colors or chairs and pews and do we take communion every week or once a month and all the dumb things that we can debate about, which luckily I don't think we do debate here, we are to be a picture of love in this world. And it's not because of how great we are, but it's because of how great our God is and that he's given us a new heart and that his spirit now lives within us. And so I think this is what God's doing in this church. Like, as I say this last point, like I say it with great encouragement because I believe God is working in us just a heart of love in this church. And so it's exciting. We saw that last night. We see that every week when we gather, as the table groups gather, it appears that there's just love in this church. But, but, don't, but don't think that, oh, we're good, we're loving, so check the box and we're good. No, we're to continue to grow in that because this world is growing in its hatred and its strife. And as it grows in its hatred, we grow in our love so that the world will continually see the picture of God's kingdom, a foretaste of the heavenly kingdom uh, in the new heaven, the new earth. And so let us persevere. Let us repent. If you're not a believer, then trust in God today and let us let us love one another and put one another's needs and interests above our own because that's what Christ did, the king of the kingdom of earth, or the king of the kingdom of the world, kingdom of God. I'm saying it all different. Uh, as he comes and dies on the cross and puts our needs before his own. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to go straight into communion. I'm going to have Tony and uh, Sandra and their family come forward, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, question is, how does God help us repent? Okay, so if, if, if one of the things we're to do today is repent, especially uh, this be the regular thing that we do, how do we repent? Um, or how does God do that? Uh, he does it through his word, like today. We look at the word, and if it, it ought to bring us to repentance just as it brings us to love God. Uh, God also works through other people, through other Christians. Other Christians might come to us and through talking about the word or through pointing out things in our lives might reveal areas of sin. And so God will use other people. God will use his word. God will use prayer. Um, multiple ways that he does that. But those are just a few basic ways. Through the community of God's people and through his word are primary ways that he leads us to repentance, that we become aware of our sin. Uh, so I'm going to ask... There they are. Uh, can I have the whole Salvant family come down? So, Tony and Sandra are, are leaving the first week of May. Will you be here next week? Okay, they will be here next week, but see, I, I won't be here next week, and I wanted to be here with them for this, so... So I'm the pastor, I get to, I get to do this. Uh, so we've asked them to come forward. Uh, they've been with us now for around five years, four years, about four years. And Tony has been now restationed to go to Texas. And he's going to be there for a year to do schooling. Then at that point, they will then decide where God, or God will show you where you guys are going after that. Um, and so we are excited for them. But they've been an amazing blessing to our church. Uh, Sandra has helped 
in about every way with the children's ministry, whether it's nursery or downstairs. She has helped coordinate it, helped do things. They've helped with the Christmas plays. Tony has been involved in, in various ways, just helping out in various uh, men's projects that we do. He's part of the Everyman Shepherd. He was part of the Divine Project. Uh, they've been a blessing. They've watched our family. They've watched our kids. We've watched your kids. Uh, you've watched our dog. We've watched your dog. Your dog destroyed my stuff. Just, just, just kind of putting that out there. Um, uh, but you guys have been a huge blessing to us, and we love you very much. And this, this is like the the good and the pain uh, of being next to a base is that. Um, there are many people like you that will come, and, and we love so dearly, but then, then you have to leave. And we're excited because we know that you all love the gospel. We know that you desire to shepherd your family well. And so, I mean, we in great confidence know that you're leaving, and you will strengthen whatever church you go to. You will strengthen whatever unit you will go to. Uh, and so it's with great excitement that, that you leave, but also with great sadness. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, especially Tony, um, I know you love God's word. Uh, I know you love the church, um, and I know you're going into schooling and other things, and I know life is going to be busy, and I just want to encourage you to continue to shepherd your family. I think you have demonstrated that. Uh, I'm going to get my cry. <laughs> but you've demonstrated that your entire time here, that you love your family. In fact, I think anyone here who knows you, within a few weeks of just seeing you say, hey, Tony loves his family. You're at work, we were there, you're clearly respected there. Um, more than there, your family loves you. And so I just want to encourage you, keep loving them, keep shepherding them. Uh, grow, and I, I pray that you grow and, and just at work, and as you grow more in the military, that you continue to advance. But more than any advancement, just the shepherding of your children, the shepherding of your wife. Um, and I know that you'll do that. And so we just, I want you to know that as you go, we'll be praying for you. We'll be praying for Sandra as new friends, new life, new things as you go over there. And yet, even though you're with a different church, we're still one body. I think that's the good news. We can, there's many different bodies here in Lacey, in Thurston County. Um, there's many different bodies in America, in this world. And while we might meet at different times, different days, uh, we're one family. And, and we pray that we see you again on, on this side. Uh, but if not, we have great hope of the new heavens and new earth. We have great hope. Um, and so we know that we'll always be family. And so we're just glad you're here. Uh, I did ask if you want to just to say a few things. Uh, so let me make sure I think. To the zero or to the line? Good luck. Uh, there it is. Right. It works. Well, thank you. Um, so we were, you know, afraid that knew this day would probably come sometime. Um, I'm not sure when. But uh, during our time here, um, you know, you all have been our family, away from our family. Um, coming from Germany here, we really prayed that we find a, a Bible-believing church. Um, uh, as you, you, know, you mentioned often, sometimes it's more of a watered-down version sometimes. And um, we found that here. And um, we thank you for your guidance, your family's guidance, uh, the, the, the example that you set for us. Um, it's not easy, you know, being in the military because you make so many uh, good relationships and then you move on. Um, but you, you all have impacted us and helped us during our time here. 
uh, not just physically watching our kids or a dog that might destroy your house, but um, spiritually as well. I know we've both grown leaps and bounds here, and that's what we really wanted coming from uh, when we got here is to keep getting, we'll get back on the path and, and moving forward and, you know, showing our children um, the godly way to live, and you all have helped us do that, um, and I just want to say thank you for that. Um, we don't know where we'll be in a year, so we'll pray about that. Madigan is up the road, so that's always a possibility, um, but we'll see where God uh, leads. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's been a stretching experience for us here to, to also be able to serve, which is awesome. Um, and we just hope that in our next church uh, we can get plugged in uh, like we did here um, because I know personally I, I've grown more here uh, in the past three and a half years than I did, I think, the three and a half years I did in Germany just because it was more of that checking the box on Sunday and getting to work on Monday. So um, if you'd be praying for us during our travels and time there. Um, and, uh, you know, we love you all, and uh, please please stay in touch. But um, thank you. Cool. Uh, we're just going to have you stand up here a few more minutes with these kids. <laughs> we want to see just how long. So you all know. Uh, so wait, just recap. You came with Teddy and Savannah. Savannah was how old? Okay. And, and this little guy, man, he was like the chunkiest little baby. And he just keeps getting bigger. Your birthday's today? You're older than me. My birthday's tomorrow. Um, so we just love this family. And so come up to them afterwards and just hug them. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to pray for them. And the men are going to come forward, do the offering. We're going to close in a song. And then just, just come, embrace them, love them. Uh, we thank you guys so much. So I'm going to pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the Salvant family. Thank you for Tony. Thank you that he loves you. Thank you that you've saved him by your grace, that he's a brother in Christ, that we have great confidence of your work in his heart, and that we know that he will continue to grow in his walk and his love for you. Lord, we thank you for Sandra, how she deeply loves her husband and desires to raise her children in a godly way. I pray, give her wisdom. Help her to make friends quickly. God, help them to find just the church that they're supposed to be at very quickly. Help them to make friends, Lord, and may they help strengthen that church, and may that church be a blessing to them. God, we thank you for Savannah, for Teddy, for Alexander, and God, the amount of energy that they have, and God, just that their love. Uh, we thank you for them. May, may they trust in you. May they live for you. God, we love this family. Uh, thank you for today. Bless the offering as we take it. God, to you be all glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen.